Hey friends, thanks for joining us for another sermon with Daryl. As we continue this series in the Sermon on the Mount, we now find ourselves in the first 16 verses of Matthew's fifth chapter, talking about Jesus's teaching on being salt and light. In this sermon, Daryl shows how these two metaphors of salt and light have three profound implications about the world, God's people, and the role they have to play in the world. In essence, Daryl shows how in a dying and dark world, Jesus is pointing to his followers in this message and saying, there is nothing more useful than you. Now, before we jump in, I do want to thank our friends at the Canadian Bible Society who helped make this episode possible. We want to highlight one of their resources called The Bible Course. It's a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's Word in a deeper way. The Bible Course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of Scripture together into one big story. If your group of friends or small group at church is looking to go deeper into scripture, consider moving through this course together. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course. Okay, here's Daryl with another message in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have walked or driven through the intersection of Nelson and Berard this past week. Or if you approach the sanctuary this morning walking up Nelson Street, you likely saw what is on the sign advertising today's sermon. What the world needs now is dot, 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 and my name in small print. It appears that the title of today's sermon is What the World Needs Now is Daryl Johnson. (laughs) Believe me, when I first thought of this title, I was not thinking such an audacious thought. I would imagine some of you, when you saw the sign, said to yourself or even to your friends, What is happening to our pastor? Two weeks ago, the title, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. And now, this title, What the World Needs Now is Daryl Johnson. We know that he's been under great stress for this last year or so. Is he starting to lose it? I chose the title to play off the 1965 hit song, What the World Needs Now. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, oh, you're good. (laughs) Now, although Jesus may not put it in just such words, I think he would agree with the sentiment of that song. What the world needs now is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As the Father loves me, so I love you. Love the Lord your God with all your strength and might. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. Love your enemies. What the world needs now is love. Lots of love. Courageous love. But in light of what Jesus says in the section of the Sermon on the Mount we just read, the sign, this audacious sign 
on the corner of Nelson and Burrard in this world-class city is, well, let us pray. Lord Jesus, as you now draw us further into your Sermon on the Mount, will you speak to each of us and all of us in such a way that we can be what you want us to be? Amen. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks audaciously. He speaks audaciously of himself. Truly, I say to you, no appeal to any higher authority, just truly, I say to you. Indeed, setting himself over against and above others who try to articulate the nature of human life. You have heard it was said, but I say to you, six times. You have heard it was said, but I say to you. Blessed, right on, are those who are persecuted because of me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Whoever does these words of mine and, and hears these words of mine and does them. Who is this I? Who is this me, mine, my? Who is this person who lays out this fuller vision of human life and then grounds it in himself? Who is this who speaks in a way that no one ever has? Who is this one who speaks as if he were the Lord of the universe? Who is this one who speaks as if he were the living God in our flesh? The Sermon on the Mount poses the most important question any human being can ever ask. Who is this Jesus? Who is this who humbly speaks so audaciously? And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks audaciously of those who follow him. He who speaks audaciously about himself speaks audaciously about those he calls to himself. He who makes audacious claims about himself makes audacious claims about his followers, his disciples, about us. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It seems to me that the only person about whom Jesus should say those words is himself. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. He does go on to speak that way later on in his ministry. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, in the greatest sermon ever preached, the greatest preacher who ever lived says of those upon whom he has gotten a hold, you, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, put yourself in the place of those who first heard Jesus speak so audaciously. Ordinary folk, none of them listed in who's who in Palestine. None of them occupying high-ranking positions in the Roman government. None of them holding significant offices in the Jewish religious establishment. Ordinary people, 
Actually, a rather ragamuffin bunch. Yet something was happening to them. They were being changed, slowly but surely changed. Jesus had announced his good news to them, his gospel. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. And then on this mountain by the Sea of Galilee, he was beginning to explain the implication of this good news. He was describing what happens when people repent and turn around and embrace him and his good news. He was describing the new kind of humanity that begins to emerge in the world. Poor in spirit, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, beatitude people. And then looking at that ragtag, being transformed gathering, he says, You, you, you people whom I love, you people who I've called blessed, you people upon whom the reign of God has come, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I'm told that the Romans had a saying at that time. It goes like this. There is nothing more useful than salt and sun. In Latin, sole et sole. There's nothing more useful than sole et sole. Salt and sun. Jesus is saying to that ordinary group of people, there is nothing more useful than you, <laughs> than you citizens of the inbreaking kingdom of heaven. You are sole et sole. You are the salt that the earth needs. You are the light that the world needs. Audacious and amazing. The earth, the world, can get along without a lot of things. But according to Jesus, the earth, the world, cannot get along without beatitude people. Every Palestinian home, however rich or poor, needed both salt and light. John Stott suggests that during his own boyhood, Jesus must have often watched his mother use salt in the kitchen and light the lamps when the sun went down. Salt and light are indispensable household commodities. What an audacious claim. You are the salt, not only of your kitchen, but of the whole earth. You are the light, not only of your own home, but of the whole world, of the cosmos. So my friend Dale Bruner can say that on that day, Jesus was bestowing on those ordinary people cosmic significance. Now, in using these two metaphors, salt and light, Jesus is telling us how he views human society. In using these two simple metaphors, salt and light, Jesus is revealing his perspective on what is going on around the world and in this city. Specifically, Jesus is revealing his understanding of, one, the condition of the world left to itself, two, the role that Beatitude people are to play in the world. And three, the way Beatitude people are to fulfill this role. Through these two metaphors, Jesus is revealing the condition of human society when left to itself. The role that Beatitude people are to play in human society. 
and the way Beatitude people play this role in society. So consider each of these perspectives one at a time. First, Jesus' use of the salt and light metaphors reveals his assessment of human society left to itself. The key word is left to itself, which, as I have pointed out on other occasions, is exactly what the world wants. World, cosmos, this term in the Gospels means human society organizing itself without God. Psalm 2, why are the nations in an uproar? Why are the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers counsel together against Yahweh and his Messiah, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast their cords from us. World wants to be left by itself. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spells out the consequences of human society left to itself. Most of us in this room use salt to enhance our food. A little bit of salt brings zest to plain food. But in the first century, and in centuries leading up to the advent of refrigeration, salt was used to preserve food. Salt was absolutely essential to keep food, especially meat, from spoiling. Do you see where Jesus is going with his use of this metaphor? Human existence, human society left to itself has the tendency to spoil, to rot. Left to itself, it runs down, it deteriorates, it decays. Not very flattering, is it? (laughs) Positively offensive, actually. But that is how Emmanuel, the creator in our flesh and blood, assesses the world left to itself. Now, 50 years ago or so, people would have laughed at Jesus. 50 years ago, we were riding the crest of amazing progress. Philosophers, politicians, scientists, even theologians... We're speaking in grand and glorious terms of the ascent of man. Humanity was marching triumphantly towards the realization of paradise on earth. Few people speak that way today. Very few people. Yes, we've made tremendous progress in technology and in medicine, for which I'm very grateful. Things go faster, they're bigger, they're brighter, they're stronger. Yet, there's something terribly wrong. Where have we gone morally and relationally, intellectually and spiritually? Left to itself, world tends to run down. And like meat, world needs something from outside itself to slow and halt this downward decay. The key phrase again is left to itself. This inertia toward decay in human civilizations is the consequence of humanity's fundamental mistake. 
our decision to go it alone and try to build this world on our own without God. When we leave God out of the equation, the whole thing is going to unravel and disintegrate and the world cannot stop itself from spoiling. Now, I do not like to talk that way. I do not like to face this fact. Those of you who know me well know that I want to believe in the fundamental goodness of humanity. But Jesus here makes me face the facts. Left to ourselves, we, like meat, spoil. Jesus reveals even more in his use of the metaphor of light. He's saying that human society, left to itself, tends to go dark. Human societies lose their way. Do I need to illustrate? I'm presently reading Niall Ferguson's Civilizations, The West and the Rest. We take wrong turns, leading into even deeper darkness. Our thinking gets muddy. Right, wrong is right as long as it feels good. And right is judged as old-fashioned. We become vulnerable to the latest fad. And we, like flies, go to any flickering light that will give us any hope of warmth and healing. And to me, the greatest ironies of history is that we call the period of history when God is taken out of the center of human thinking, we call that period enlightenment. The great oxymoron of the last centuries. Left to itself... The world cannot stop itself from going dark. Now, I do not like to talk this way. It makes me sad. And I know how offensive it is, believe me. But it is the way it is. Now, the good news is that God does not leave the world to itself. The good news is that the living God intervenes in the world... And provides salt and brings light. And to everyone's surprise, the salt and light turns out to be ordinary broken people whom Jesus brings to himself. Which brings us then to the second perspective on human society that Jesus reveals in his use of these metaphors of salt and light. The metaphors reveal the role beatitude people are to have in a world that tends to decay and darken. It's a double role. Arrest and dispel. Arrest and dispel. As salt to arrest or at least hinder social decay. And as light to dispel and even draw, draw back the prevailing darkness. Arrest and dispel. As fishermen rub salt into their fish so they do not spoil, so the Savior of the world rubs beatitude people into the fabric of human society so it does not spoil. As a candle or a flashlight reveals the obstacles in the way, 
and illumines the path before us. So the savior of the world places his followers in every sector of society so that the speed bumps can be revealed and that people can be led into the true light. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at the height of the Nazi regime, could write, In casting out the disciples of Jesus, the earth is destroying its very life. In casting out the disciples of Jesus, the earth is destroying its very life. Audacious, I know. But that is what Jesus is saying. The disciples of the incarnate God are antiseptic to social decay and are lighthouses to people who are groping in the darkness. Now, what this suggests to me is that the welfare of any city is directly related to the health of the church in any city. When Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, after lamenting the fact that the city did not know the things that make for peace, he did not march toward Pilate's headquarters. He beelined to the temple. Why? Because in his mind, the real problem was not Herod and not the Romans. The real problem lay with the people of God. And so he heads to the temple to cleanse the temple because as goes the temple, so goes the city. As goes the church, so goes the city. The welfare of any city is directly related to the health of the church in the city. Now work with these metaphors of salt and light a bit further. Because I think they open up more of what Jesus is expecting his people to be in the world. Focus on salt. Salt preserves, enhances flavor, and quickens thirst. So too, beatitude people. Preserves. We are placed in our sectors of the city... To keep our sectors from spoiling. To be more concrete. You. Each of you. Is placed in your sector of the city. To keep your sector of the city from spoiling. I am placed in my sector of the city. To keep my sector of the city from spoiling. As one commentator put it, we are moral disinfectant. (laughs) Salt also enhances flavor. We are placed in our spheres of the city to give it zest. (laughs) Something about the way we speak and act is to bring freshness to people's lives. Would you agree with me when I say that most people live lives of quiet desperation? Beatitude people are placed in the world as salt of hope and peace and joy. 
Lord, help us. When I reflect on how effective or ineffective I have been in the world, or as I reflect on how ineffective I have been in my own family, I think of what Oliver Wendell Holmes once said. I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I know had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Apologies to any undertakers in the room. And salt creates thirst. Salty food makes us thirsty. Salty disciples of Jesus make people thirsty for Jesus. We are to live in our sectors of the city in such a way that people want what we want. Why do you have such hope? Why do you treat us with such kindness? Why is it that that tragedy you're going through is not robbing you of your joy? Focus on light. Light illumines and guides and pushes back the darkness. So too, beatitude people. Illumines. Like a candle in a large room, the mere presence of the poor in spirit, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers illumines the darkness. Sometimes we are welcomed and sometimes we are not. Either way, beatitude people play the function in the world that Jesus himself plays, illuminating, in the words of James Boyce, illuminating dishonest practices and businesses. Illuminating the lies told in the business world. Illuminating gossip in secretarial and executive pools. Illuminating loose talk and looser morals at parties. Corruption in politics, racial prejudice, greed, selfishness, and on it goes. And positively, illuminating the presence of God. Illuminating the works of God's justice and mercy. And illuminating those hands eager to welcome prodigal children home. Light also guides. Beatitude people are placed in the various sections of the city to guide those sections into the truth. We are to model a new way of living. Something about the way we work. Something about the way we speak. Something about the way we treat Others is to lead people out of darkness into God's healing light. And light pushes back. It pushes back the darkness. It pushes back lies. It pushes back the illusions. As the poster you've seen says, it does very little to curse the darkness. One ought to light a light. Audacious. (laughs) Really, really audacious. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I think you can see then, I think you can feel, that many of us are asking the wrong question about what's happening in our world. 
especially about what is happening in the Western world that used to be under significant influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As human society disintegrates, we are asking the question, what has gone wrong with the world? And we are pointing the finger at the unbelieving world. In light of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Ought not the question be, where is the church? And ought not the finger be pointed at the church, at us? When meat goes bad, you do not blame the meat. You ask, where is the salt? When a room goes dark, you do not blame the room you ask where is the light when a society once under the influence of Christianity goes sour you do not blame the society you ask where in heaven's name has the church been a number of years ago I had the privilege of friendship with Keith Phillips he's the president of an inner city ministry called World Impact. In his book, They Dared to Love the Ghetto, Keith asks, why are the inner cities of America deteriorating so rapidly? Why have we armed guards in our inner city schools? Why are there bars over the windows in so many private residences? Why are the elderly afraid to walk to the store or to the mailbox? The easy answer is to blame the violence, loneliness, and hurt of the ghetto on sin. The answer is correct, but only partially. A more convicting answer is that it involves the church of Jesus Christ. The answer is that the evangelical church has run from the inner city. In fact, it has galloped. When Jesus' people, when the Beatitude people leave the inner city, what do you expect? The salt and light just left. You are the salt. You are the light. You cannot run from the city. Now, the inner cities, of course, are not the only ghettos abandoned by the church. What about entertainment and media? Medicine, politics, higher education. Thank God that many of you are in those sectors. But we need more, right? I've had a series of meetings with Christian leaders in the city over the last few weeks, and I've heard some amazing things, so I am much encouraged. Something's stirring in our city, and I'm very encouraged. Which brings us then to the third perspective Jesus reveals in his use of these two domestic metaphors. Jesus shows beatitude people how to best fulfill their roles in human society. The two metaphors help us avoid two extremes. On the one hand, we are to resist the tendency to turn inward and become preoccupied with our own spiritual well-being. Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and then put a bushel over it. No, they put it on a lampstand. I think he would also say, salt is of little use in the salt shaker. Salt must be shaken out of the container into the meat where it dissolves. In fact, the salt must dissolve into the meat to do its effect. On the other hand, we have to resist the tendency of accommodating ourselves to the surrounding culture. 
Salt checks decay because it is different. Jesus says, if the salt loses its saltiness, of what good is it anymore? Just to be trampled underfoot by people. How many churches in the cities of the world are ignored by the city because the city doesn't see anything different? When the city looks at the church, it sees a mirror image of itself. People treat each other just the way the city does. They're just as harsh and judgmental as the way the city is. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts the world. So in order for us to play our role that Jesus intends us to play, we have to resist the extremes, either becoming a holy huddle or an inoffensive culture pleaser. One of the titles of a book by Richard Mao, I think, says it best. His title is Holy Worldliness. Isn't that a good title? Holy Worldliness. In the world, but not of it. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This word good actually means the inherent attractiveness of a thing. Let the inherent attractiveness of the deed you do in Jesus attract. Salty works light radiating works and we play the role that Jesus wants us to play in the world by simply being who we are Dietrich Bonhoeffer again pointed out that Jesus did not say you have salt or you have light Jesus did not say you should be salt you should be light Jesus says you are salt you are light be who you are be who I made you to be how well ask How are we becoming what Jesus wants us to be? Well, by virtue of contact with him. By virtue of his claim upon us. By virtue of him causing the kingdom to break in our lives. We are slowly but surely becoming the people Jesus wants us to be. Which says to me then that we best play our role in the world by staying very close to Jesus. Surprised? (laughs) We become salty because he salts us with his salt. We become light because he illumines his light in us. A little girl went with her mother to visit a beautiful cathedral. And as she watched the sunlight beam in between these windows and the people in the windows, she asked her mother, who are these people in the windows? And her mother says, oh, they're saints. And then she said, oh, I know what saints are. Saints are people who let the light shine through them. For the sake of... Of the city, which left to itself decays and darkens. We must stay close to him who is the world's true salt and true light. Abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. What the world needs now is dot, dot, dot. I say that what the world needs now is Jesus, right? What the world needs now is Jesus. But what does Jesus say? It turns out that that accidental, apparently audacious sign on the corner of Nelson and Berard accidentally got it right.
It is right on. What the world needs now is me. What the world needs now is you. What the world needs now is for me to be who Jesus says I am. What the world needs now is for you to be who Jesus says you are. What the world needs now is for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven to first and foremost be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You. You. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So for the sake of the city he loves, let us resolve that as never before, we will be who the Lord of the city says we are. I want to invite you to just reflect by yourself by answering two questions. The first question is, as I have been speaking this morning, how has Jesus been speaking to you about the role he has for you where you live and work? And the second question, If money were no object and you knew you could not fail, and by the way, in the kingdom of God, money is no object. If money were no object and you knew you could not fail, what good work in the city would you like to throw yourself into right now?